Welcome to It Didn't Break Me, a podcast where we have honest and vulnerable conversations around the messy stuff we didn't think we'd come back from, inspiring you to give yourself permission to discover the beauty within the mess and to let go the illusion of perfection. I'm your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Hello and welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. I am your host, Bianca Keisha Hughes. Welcome if it is your first time, if it is not your first time, welcome back. It is a pleasure to have you here. This is episode three of the podcast and I'm really excited to get into this episode. My guest is actually anonymous and the reason for that is just because their story involves certain members of their family that they want to protect. If there's ever a guest that comes on anonymous, um, they are not anonymous to me. Um, I've had some contact with them and I just personally do that to maintain the integrity of the podcast, just to let you know. So rest assured, I do my research and they're not just telling a story to tell a story. I think that this episode is going to be so good because It's something that myself and fellow therapists sometimes struggle with is that there's this expectation that we have to be perfect. And when life is not perfect, um, we're really discussing in this episode how we work through that and begin to accept that and acknowledge. And when we feel like we should have known better as the therapist and and we miss stuff because we're human, And it's really about um, my guest journey of doing that. So let's go ahead and get into the conversation. So hello and (laughs) welcome to the It Didn't Break Me podcast. Thanks. I'm super uh, excited and nervous to be here. (laughs) Well, it's okay to be nervous. I always tell people courage is doing things when we're nervous, when we're afraid, but we're doing it anyway. So for anyone who is listening and feels like they can't do something because they're nervous, you can be nervous and still do courageous things. So Thanks. Thanks. I needed that. (laughs) (laughs) so my first question I ask all guests is what's something you thought would break you but it didn't I go back and thinking specifically this is when I was uh newer into my career I'm a therapist and I went through a really bad divorce um I know all the things that you should do to keep a relationship together or to have a family and you know none of those things were happening in my life Mm. and so that was I think a little bit harder because of my professional career just that that expectation that you know I I should know how to do this or I should know be better and you know it's it wasn't pretty then it's not pretty now Um, and it's been years. And so, uh, you know, I thought that, you know, it it just wouldn't be like that. And I really didn't think I would be able to, you know, get married again, or be able to talk about that at all professionally. Mm. Wow. So that's really big for you to share for anyone who doesn't know, there's a lot of expectations on us as therapist Mm -hmm. um, from ourselves from the general public and then even some people other people in the mental health profession so um, I know people like well why is she not why is she anonymous but I always want to you know sometimes the guests will be anonymous on this show just to kind of protect their family and stuff but you came on here anyway why why do you want to share this story I think because I, I want to be anonymous because children are involved. And so I want to be very protective of that and protective of that relationship. But it was so hard for me to 
you know, find a therapist to, to help out during that and to disclose, you know, some of the things that were happening that I was really embarrassed about what was happening. And so I found it, I had a lot of barriers to, to treatment and to, to talking about the problem um, because of my profession. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I, I think that happens not just with like divorce, but when we're experiencing our own mental health stuff, like I remember going to, you know, going to a doctor and saying like, you know, I'm just, I'm really struggling right now. I, you know, this medication has helped in the past. And he's like, I'm not okay with that. Like you need to go to see this guy. And I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. I saw him, you know, we were in a training together last week. <laughs> And, you know, and so trying to find someone that you don't know, like, well, and, and I actually, the therapist that I did go to, I ended up working with one of his colleagues. So like, so we, you know, it's a small community of us. That was a bit of a barrier and it's a bit of a barrier still kind of talking about divorce because I'm, I'm actually really good at communication and relationships and complexity of relationships. And so how do I come in and say that I'm an expert in this when I've got this like sorted history? <laughs> I know, isn't that, it's, it's almost as like you have to be perfect like this. Yes. You're, you're a therapist and you have it all figured out. You don't go yeah. through anything and you have like the best life, right? Which is so not true. No, I'm a neurotic mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So take us back a bit to mm -hmm. some of those fears that you had and concerns you had. And also, you know, that, that inner critic that was judging you. Um, for being, you know, in this space where you're about to get a divorce. Yeah. As, as a therapist as well, oh. not just as a person oh. and then as a therapist. Yeah. I, I appreciate that distinction too, because there were some, some things going on that was affected by just, you know, stereotypes from, you know, I was raised with several privileges in my life. And so there were a lot of, um, a lot of things where that was a, a big component of, of the divorce and the specifics leading to the divorce, but, but also, you know, the being the therapist too, and knowing like all the things in the world and also what people think as therapists too. So I appreciate that, that distinction of both professional and personal. So leading to the divorce, there, so there were a lot of red flags leading to the divorce that as a therapist, I really should have picked up on. And, and I'm, and I don't want to say that in like a perfectionistic way, but I, I kind of want people to sort of hear this out because when we think about like red flags, right, that's all over social media. And I particularly love the meme, like I saw the red flags and I sewed them into a scarf. <laughs> And so I, so I, I sort of, I don't really want to say like, you know, typically therapists don't like to say the word should, but I kind of want to in this instance, because I think it's what we do as humans that kind of leads us into these unhealthy relationships. So there, there were a lot of red flags, but there were some really good excuses that, mm. that I had. Um, and, and that the, the other person, the person that I was married to that that they used and that I I believed and so there there were a lot of red flags and so that was a really hard one for me because once like the truth came out there was a lot of like alcohol abuse there was adultery and so once those things came out I go into that past and I'm like oh my god I should have seen all of this now here's where the perfectionism pops in is that I, I should have seen all of this and done something about it and that it's my fault that I'm here. That's the part that I want kind of people to sort of like challenge up against. There's a lot of reasons why we can see red flags, but not do anything about them yet, because we may not know exactly what they mean and hindsight's 2020. 
you know, so I, I really want to like help people kind of get that sort of differentiation. Cause that was hard for me because I'm also a perfectionist. I don't know, you, know, <laughs> you may know a little about that. So I had a really hard time letting go of just that, you know, it's really my fault because I should have seen this and therefore I shouldn't have gotten married. Mm, and, you went and, all back to, oh, I shouldn't even got married. Yes. Yes. I went all the way back to that because there were like red flags prior to that. I just didn't like, you know, take them for what they were. And so I had a lot of guilt for getting married. And then also, you know, we had a child together. And so I was like, oh my God, I've, I've brought a child into this dysfunction. And then here, here's the perfectionist sound again. And then I'm responsible for how screwed up and how much therapy she'll need when she's in the future. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's all your fault. That's oh, that perfectionism that it's a hundred percent your thought fault yep. and the other person is not involved or anything. Yeah. I think the question is, and I know I'm thinking it, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking it. What made you ignore the red flags like what were the things that perhaps you said to yourself or the excuses um mm -hmm. that were said by you or that was said by him that mm -hmm. made you continue there were a lot of um a lot of excuses like you know it's just a stressful day you know it's okay to sort of have uh, it was a big turn right when our child was born and mm -hmm. so that's when the excuses no longer became okay. So a, a lot of the reasoning for accepting the excuses is that we're young and don't have kids. So like, you know, if people go out and, you know, have fun and all of those things. And so a lot of it was like, let's, you know, let's get this out of our system before kiddos, because it took us a while to have a kid. And there were some like red flags, like while I was pregnant, okay now, but like, I'm literally pregnant. Do we need to be going to the, to the bar? <laughs> mm. And so a lot of those things were wrapped up in that we're, we're young, we don't have kids, we want to have a good social life. And then there were just like times where like things were too taken too far, or you could kind of wrap into, oh, well, you were intoxicated. So that behavior, not entirely your responsibility. And so as someone who worked in the addiction field, you know, that was really hard. I was like, oh, that they mm. were right there. Mm -hmm. People put this label and this expectation on us on the, in the world, and we do it on ourselves that you know, because we know better, we should do better. Yes. <laughs> and that yes. is always the case. It is so, <laughs> no, it's not the case at all. And I think part of it is the human, like we always have to remember that we're human before, before any role, before anything that we do, before any knowledge that we have, that we're still human and the brain is still going to kick in and make some decisions and responses that have nothing to do with our career and as a therapist, all the knowledge that we have. Prime example, I'm a bit stressed right now and I'm probably not doing all the things notice perfectionism all but right. the but the the things that I know to do to kind of help when I'm stressed I might be mm -hmm. doing them a little bit and then I also might be drinking having some extra chocolate yep and some and yep. some and some uh crisp or you guys like to say chips and uh -huh. uh, maybe a glass of wine so <laughs> whilst I'm whilst I'm also reaching out for help and uh going for a walk by the river so I'm doing everything I know to do and probably not all the things that are helpful because yep. I'm still human yeah, that's a, that's a real, you know, that's a real hard one there. Cause it's sort of like, you know, all the right things and yet the, when you're activated into that state, right. That flight or flight stress response state, it's, it's real hard to kind of follow through with some of those things because, you know, taking a calming walk when your amygdala is like, no, we're under stress. Why the hell do you want to relax right now? That sounds like an awful idea. So, and I, I, you know, I think a lot of that too bumps up against, so part of that being the profession that I'm in, 
going through all of that and that, you know, how can I help people with their relationships if, if I can't keep mine together? But also, I think there's a lot of stereotypes as a woman, too, particularly if we're thinking about um, in a heterosexual relationship, you know, thinking about the pressure that women have to make sure that men are getting like the healthcare that we need, right? There's a lot of pressure to be able to say like, oh, you know, she stood by or she was there through all of it. And so I think there was a little bit of pressure for that. Like you don't, you want to, um, or I, that pressure to like, not want to leave because someone is sick, because I do believe like addiction is a disease. I don't think mm -hmm. it's like, you know, anything like that. So having that, it's like, do you, you know, how do you leave a relationship when you know someone is sick? And, um, you know, so I think there was a little bit of pressure for that, but also there's, there's adultery too. And I think there's still a lot of stigma in society. I, you know, we kind of go either end, right? So mm -hmm. it's either like the other person is this awful human being for mm -hmm. cheating, mm -hmm. or what did you do that you couldn't keep your partner? <laughs> mm. And there's like no middle. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, there's lots of like stuff in there that either of those could be true, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, there's a lot of complexity within that, but I was still kind of like stuck in that mindset. Like if, if someone is cheating on you, then you're not doing something right. There's something that you're not doing. And so I felt a lot of blame, you know, for that and like saying, well, what am I not doing enough? Cause you know perfectionism <laughs> that so. fear and that that kind of shame and I think that you know what you're talking about it you know the expectations of society on women and on men or whoever in general and that is you know really why I do this podcast because one of the reasons because there is all these expectations right and so we stand back in fear and we don't do these things because we're frightened of oh my god if I do that it's going to, my world is going to end or yes. I'm going to be a complete failure. If anyone finds out like this is, this is the whole thing about, you know, we think things are going to break us. And the reason we think they're going to break us because of all these societal norms and expectations yes. that are spoken and unspoken. But then when we kind of build up the courage to do that, we realize it's not that bad after all. Yeah. And a lot more people can, can relate to it. Right. So when we think about the disease of addiction and when we think about adultery, there's usually a lot of abusive behaviors that, that occur within that too, that we don't really talk about as a society. And so I remember simultaneously while, and, and I had a lot of privilege, so I was able to, you know, get out safely and have access to like a place to live and things like that, that a lot of people don't at the time, and I, I can't remember the, the timeline really, but I remember when um, it was a celebrity and there was like clearly a video of really serious physical abuse that was getting kind of like blasted. And there were just tons and tons of comments about why doesn't she just leave? Mm. And that was you know, again, like knowing that I had sort of like seen all of the signs, seen these behaviors and, and I hadn't left, you know, there's this weird sort of sensation that's happening when you're watching like someone else experience that. And then the, the whole world is like going into that sort of perfectionism. Why, why don't you just leave? And I felt a lot of like guilt and shame around that component, because then we start to say things like, well, and, and it typically it's in heterosexual relationships. So, so know that I'm speaking from that, though it definitely happens in all relationships. There's a pressure for women to, to leave, a pressure for women to protect their children. And we don't typically see that society is conscious or cognizant of the barriers that it takes for women to leave. Mm. And so, you know, one, if it gets, if it gets put out into public, you get the public shaming, like, why didn't you leave? And then, but, you know, but if you ask for help, a lot of times people don't take it seriously because they didn't see the video or they didn't see that happen. And so, 
women get really, and again, I'm using specific gender terms that don't necessarily apply, but like, you know, it gets to be a bit of a difficulty leaving. And that's part of why when we see the red flags that they don't quite register because there's not, what do you do with the red flag once you call it a red flag? Yeah. That part right there. That is, yeah. oh, that's so good. What do you do with a red flag when you call it a red flag? Was that what you said? You said yep. Like, yep. Like, what do you do? Like, it, that's so good. It's like, okay, I see the red flag. There's a red yep. flag. Yep. I'm no longer making excuses for the red flag. <laughs> I do see I do the now? red flag. Oh, shit. <laughs> what? And there's, there's really not a lot, right? Like we, mm-hmm. we've got these other resources and I'm, I'm very transparent with people. Like if I didn't have the, the access to the privileges that I had access to and the education that I have, it could be so, so much worse. It's not great. I'm not, I'm not even going to like, going to blow the smoke up this or anything. It's not great at all by any means, but it could have been so, so much worse because I had access to like all of these privileges that most people don't. Mm. And, and that's part of why I like to, to tell my story in a, you know, in a very like safe way is because a lot of people, you know, when they end up going back to these relationships, it's because there's not any, any help there. And there's a dynamic from the person that's showing these red flags, that's showing all the green flags. Now, everything that you ever wanted, they're like, here I am, the person that, that you fell in love with. And, you know, so you have that, those red flags. What do I do with this red flag? And then they start showing all the green flags. Mm. And that's a bit of, I, I, that's about, (laughs) you have a name for that. (laughs) I do. I do. I didn't know how far I can go. I already knew what you was gonna you think. Saw- <laughs> uh huh. I got We're a gonna do it. a PG thirteen version. It, it's a, it's a, it's a mind freak. <laughs> yeah. It's a mind freak. It, it's just a sort of like a spinning sensation, and then like then the green flags, and you're like, well, did I just make the red flags up? Was I overreacting? Am I just like sensitive and naggy or whatever? And mm. and so. There, there's a complexity to this stuff that I think happens whether or not you're a therapist. Yeah. And that's the part that I think is so important that when that's that brain, that's the emotional piece. Yeah. I was talking to someone another day, the other day recently about that. Um, why does this person was being physically abused, but I'm not being physically abused, but why do we sound the same? Yes. And I'm like, the reason you sound the same, because it's the brain component that is experiencing the, the abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, sexual, financial, it's the brain. And so that's why everybody, every single person sounds the same. It has nothing to do with the act. It's the yep. way the brain processes. And I think that's what you're. Yep. And, and that was one of my, one of my excuses. Cause I, I don't know if this was your experience growing up, but like, I got very clearly, uh, very clear indication that if someone hits you, that's abuse. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the education that I had. And so in my head, if someone doesn't hit you, it's not abuse. And so that, and that's not what abuse is, right? Because, because thankfully, you know, after I was able to like get to understand all of the dynamics, mm-hmm. but that, that was one of those things. And, and when we talk about more, um, less in your face forms of abuse, uh, psychological abuse, financial abuse, reproductive coercion, all of those things there, you know, those are real subtle. It's not like someone comes to you and says, I'm controlling you by telling you not to wear this. Like we can catch up on the really clear cut abuse that's been outlined. Like you can only wear this type of outfit. That's not typically how it happens. It's much more subtle. And so it's harder, harder to pick up on those to call them Mm -hmm. red flags. And they're usually done in a way that's like very flattering. 
And so it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is, this is just so much more attractive on you. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, they can't see my facial expression, but it's sort of like a confused look like, really? I don't think it looks that good. Okay. But if you like it, you know, so it's, it's real subtle. And I think that's one of the ways that we sort of um, wash away the red flags. We don't know to call it red when it's that subtle because it's not coming out like how we were raised. If someone hits you, that's abuse. So subtle red flags. Mm-hmm. They're not just red flags. They're no. subtle. It sounds, oh, like yeah. a, it sounds like you have a book there. By the way. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. So tell, tell us a bit about, just name just a few of those fears, um, or not, not fears, or shall I say, um, unrealistic expectations that you had on yourself as a person, as a woman, um, as a therapist, and ones that perhaps you thought about that may have come from the world and other mental health professionals Mm -hmm. does does that make sense yep yep Mm -hmm. I think one of the and I think this is a kind of a common bias but I'm gonna I'm gonna let your audience sort of determine that so I one of the biases that I had had was that if your relationship ends that means something was wrong And I don't think that to be true anymore, but that was definitely one that I had because to me, I thought like if, if breakups happen, that means someone did something wrong. And I don't believe that to be true. There's lots of reasons why relationships end and, and probably need to end. And so that, you know, I think kept me in uh, a little bit longer. And so that perfectionism, you know, was a, a part of it. I think there was a bias towards um, or a belief that you have to be in a relationship for your life to be successful or meaningful or whatever nonsense we have. But I think we have a really big bias that, you know, the next level somehow means couple dumb or, <laughs> you know, partner dumb. And, and I, I, that's so bizarre to me now. But that was definitely a part of it. It was like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm at this age. I'm already in my professional career. So I guess the next thing to do is to get married. And so I, I think that was definitely a part of it because that was just seen as like that next thing. And we have, you know, all these biases about growing up and being single or getting older and being single that I think are a little bizarre. I think... Those were two big ones for me. I think thinking about it from, you know, being like a professional, it was really hard to admit that I can't make things okay. Mm. You know, I think as therapists, we come into this field because we, we want to make people okay. You know, I didn't come in because I like to see people suffer. I I want people to be able to do that. And that was really incredibly hard for me to start to recognize that I can't make people healthy. I I want to be there for that journey. I I want to, you know, if people want to do that, but for a variety of reasons, and I'm not saying they're negative, but for a variety of reasons, people sometimes don't want to make that change. They, they don't want to be healthy in that moment, or they don't want to give up some of the things that they need to give up to be healthy. And I say that with the utmost compassion, but it's also, you know, if, if they're unhealthy, it doesn't matter how perfect you are. You cannot make them healthy. So that feels so, I can feel so powerless and helpless. Yes. As as a person. And then, like you said, the whole reason we came into this field is uh, to help people. Right. And so when we can't, and then it's in our own lives, like, um, you know, that's hard. I had to come to terms with that as a really young age before I was actually a therapist. And, um, yeah. That was when, you know, my, my dad um, going through his addiction and still going on and off and really wanting to help him. And 
I must have been about 19 or 20 um, when I was like, wait a minute, first of all, I'm your child. <laughs> this is not my responsibility. Yes. Um, but because I am the first in the one that, not I'm not the first for my dad, but I am seen as like, I'm the glue, I'm the connector, that's my strength. And so um, I had to come to terms that at a year, very young age. And um, I think that actually helps me a lot in my profession and people probably think that I'm cold and I'm like, no, I had to, I know I can only go so far. Yeah. I, I really do think that's that made me that, that was a really hard lesson, but that has just been one of the most powerful lessons for me personally and professionally, because I can much better identify clearly communicate it with like all of the people in my life. I too have addiction in my family of origin, And I think there's a lot of like behaviors that I can now connect with like, oh, okay, those are enabling behaviors. And I think sometimes perfectionism can be enabling. I'm gonna, (laughs) oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some feathers ruffled as I say that, because if we're trying to like make everything look perfect and like there aren't any problems, a lot of times those, those red flags are hidden. And so you know, that, that was sort of a part in my, my family of origin was that like, everyone just kind of pretended everything was okay. (laughs) Um, It's not. (laughs) Yeah. What about from the profession? What Mm -hmm. were the unrealistic expectations? What, what are, what is still, what were they, what do you feel like they were then some of the unrealistic expectations in the mental health field? And even now I mean it's not from everyone in the mental health field but I still think I I know it's there (laughs) yeah so um I I think really the I think for a lot of us and I'm gonna I'm gonna generalize I I think for a lot of us there's this expectation for us to be perfect and for like other therapists to like be perfect and have their shit together and um I don't believe that to be true. You know, health is a journey. It's not, it's not any, anything, you know, when I see my, my therapist now, I'm like, oh, this again, you know, and they're like, yep, here it comes again. (laughs) So, um, you know, so I think, I think that's really hard because I think it's hard for us to share some of the more uncomfortable pieces. It's like, logically, we believe that, about mental health and that mental health affects everyone, but there's this disconnect between, you know, really sharing that and feeling that it's okay for us, right? Mm. Sure. It's okay for everyone else to have mental stuff going on, but not, but not me. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, I think that's one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and I'm going to probably hit a little hard here. So no, I'm saying this like with compassion for everyone. I think there's still a really hard time in our profession for recognizing unhealthy relationships and toxic. I think we're getting better. Okay. But there's still, uh, we're, we're still trying, and this is a, you know, this is, this is my approach, I should say. So when we're talking about unhealthy relationships, we are still trying to use healthy relationship stuff to heal unhealthy relationships. So when I was like trying to like make things work, so I'm in my head, I know all the things that you're supposed to do for relationship communication and you be vulnerable and you do all those things. When we're talking about unhealthy relationship dynamics, you don't want to do any of those things. And so I, I actually think my profession sort of hurt me just a bit in that way, mm-hmm. because I, I tried to use all the things that you should do, I'm mm-hmm. doing my air quotes, in a relationship that they don't apply to you. So I, I, I'm very cautious about that with everyone who's talking about relationships. And I'm like, well, if this isn't a safe or a healthy relationship, we're throwing all of those out the window. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to work on like, 
safety. And so I, I think that was where I messed up because I was like, oh, well, it says to be, yeah, I love Brene Brown. I love it. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like she's got a lot of good stuff, but you cannot use that stuff in, in unhealthy relationships. It's very dangerous to be vulnerable in unhealthy relationships. Yes. <laughs> and this is probably vulnerable for me. So um, I totally relate to that. And sometimes I feel conscious of that when I am talking to someone who is in as, as a therapist and I'm talking to someone who is in a marriage or, 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 or they have, you know, they have a partner and I don't, and I am explaining to them that this, what you're doing, um, you're expecting too much of them. And so what you're doing is causing you more pain because you yes. are being vulnerable and open and you will have to set some boundaries. And I'm always subconscious, like, are they going to listen to me? Are they going to believe me? Are they going to ask me if I'm in a relationship and do I do the same things? But I, I do get conscious, but here's my rebuttal. Like I said, I had to do the same thing with my dad and I still do the same thing with my dad. The conversation is limited to certain things. And, and that works. So we still have a great relationship because it works, but I'm not having this expectation for him to respond. Yes. In, in, in certain conversations, he could be really good on picking up on when something is wrong with me and asking me, but I'm not yep. going to go into detail what's wrong. It, so I, I, I appreciate him knowing something's wrong and right. trying to, but we're not going to go into detail because that would be too much for him. Yep. And so I totally get that, but I am subconscious of that just mm -hmm. sometimes because people are like, well, how do you know that that doesn't work? And I'm like, listen, if I can have to do that with my own father, right, which is probably the hardest people to do it with is a parent, then you can do it in a, in a romantic relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, I, sort of tell people to you is that like when we're talking about relationships right there's you know while a lot of the discussion that prior to this has been about romantic relationships like this is in all relationships mm -hmm. I, a friend a family member like this is in all relationships and so you know we we tend to and i think in this society sort of prioritize the 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 singular monogamous relationship in someone's life. And I, I don't think that's particularly healthy, but when we talk about, you know, an unhealthy dynamics, that's, that's everything. You can have all of those patterns in all of the relationship types. So even if someone's, you know, primary romantic relationship is healthy, they can still be exhibiting these behaviors. They can still have these behaviors happening in another relationship and it's just as harmful or hurtful. And I'm really going to toss therapists under the bus. Your therapist could be in, in an unhealthy relationship with you. <laughs> so I, I say this with love and compassion. All therapists are crazy. You just want one that's worked through their stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. We've all got stuff going on. It's all just, got like stuff. you said, um, you know, I'm, I'm up here sharing all the stuff, but yeah. So where are you now? Um, I am, you know, I thought I would never date again. I thought I would never get married again. I wasn't, you know, looking for anything like that. I was, you know, very happy, single, just raising my kiddo and, you know, working. And it was a really nice and peaceful life. And my sister was like, you gotta like try dating. And I was like, no, I don't. I'm not interested. I don't want to be in a relationship. She was like, you don't have to be in a relationship. You can just date. So of course I hopped on one of the online things. Damn. If the first date that I went on, I married this person. <laughs> Is that a red flag, Jennifer? Uh, yes. I would tell people those are red flags that we don't really know as red. <laughs> But it just was really just, we worked out really, really well. You know, thankfully they've 
they've got some some ex history too so which can make relationships more complicated when you have like multiple ex issues but um it's it's really nice because there's some similarities that we sort of get and can talk about and so you know we've been um we've been together for a lot of years and we're really good good friends and good partners and i totally did not think that that was in the cards for me again i didn't want it to be in the cards for me again to be very transparent and it you know here we are and it's a big blended family and you know still still chugging along and you know professionally didn't damage me professionally i would push that i'm even more successful than i was then and just a better therapist because of my experiences and so i thought I would not recover from such a, you know, shameful divorce. I say that with sarcasm, such a shameful history. And that's not, not at all the case. And you have children too. I do. I do. We've got a blended family of three. They are feisty, wild children. <laughs> <laughs> they are. And I love them. They're adorable, wonderful. So tell us what has helped you um, in this this journey to up until where you are now and you know, kind of going through that divorce and, and mm -hmm. accepting that it's okay or that mm -hmm. you can be a therapist and still experience these things. I think what's what's helpful, it, it's a bit tricky again because of you know my child's parents. So I always want to be respectful and you know, not make comments that are, are negative towards that relationship. Because when we're talking about unhealthy relationships with a parent of a child, we need to be very, very cautious about how we do that because children can't separate that at that age. And so they don't understand like the complexities of these things. So, um, but so, you know, we're very protective of, of that information and, you know, stick to the basics. Like we, your, your parent and I did not want to be married anymore. And we love you both very much. Like I keep it like real, real short, which of course opens up more questions, but, you know, I don't want them to know like the details because that does affect children. Okay. So I think sometimes when there's significant issues like that. You've got to think about safety, but also, you know, that's still their parent and we need to protect that relationship that them having a healthy relationship is important. But at the same time, I need to have a place where I'm not keeping secrets anymore. So for me, one of the ways that I had to recover was that I couldn't keep secrets. I, I wasn't going to hide my experiences. I wasn't going to not talk about those things personally so you know my friends my family like they know the details and and they know the specifics which is really hard and as as i did that as uncomfortable as that was because you would see people's i i call it the head tilt because as you explain the situation people's head tilts and you're like i don't know what i just said but that reaction means something bad's happening, but you're so used to it. You're so used to the dysfunction. You don't realize how dysfunctional it is. Mm. And so, so that was hard, but I think vital to my, my recovery from that, because one, I'm not keeping secrets, which means I'm not activating my perfectionism. I'm, I'm telling it like it is. Then it's also giving me like a, a, a mirror to say like, these behaviors aren't okay. This isn't healthy. And that gives me a, a better, healthier gauge to go by. And then by doing that too, it allows me to see like my part in it. Like what, what red flag was I not accepting as a red flag? Why did I not accept it as a red flag? Let me, let me heal that part. Let me figure out that part. And so for me, no secrets was, was a huge, and this is a big family rule that we have, you know, all of my children, you know, know this, we don't have secrets in our house. We can have surprises if we're going to surprise our, our, you know, family member with something, but nothing's ever secret because eventually that, that they know. And so that's a big rule. And so that means that we, 
we talk about our feelings, we talk about experiences, even if it's tough. And that was really pivotal for me to be able to do that. And so having, um, sharing my experience, you know, never in earshot of, of my child, but, you know, having people that, that I got to get real with and, and really talk about the, the details with was, I, I, there's no other way to do it, unfortunately. Mm, I love that. Not, not keeping the secrets in that. I never considered that keeping secrets as um, a part of perfectionism. Yeah. Um, never, yep. never thought about it that way. So I love, I kind of, appre- I appreciate that viewpoint. And mm-hmm. then, you know, just going back how important it's, it is to be honest with yourself and then with others. And that really, mm-hmm. you can live that true, authentic life. So. I appreciate that, that section that you said right there, because you know, I think a lot of perfectionism is, I think for me, I don't want to speak for anyone else. For me, it was like, you know, I got to acknowledge that something is wrong here and I got to be honest with myself about it. And that I think was actually harder. That was me. That has nothing to do with my ex-partner. It, that was all me. And that was what I was contributing to that, right? When we're talking about unhealthy relationships, it's no one else's fault for the other person's behavior or person's behavior, but there's, there's something that is happening internally for, for that relationship to continue. So I I, I hope I'm being very like cautious as I'm saying that, because it's no one's fault that abuse happens. Never. That, that is never your fault. However, we've got to look at what's going on here that this dynamic developed. And for me, it was because I wasn't willing to say, I'm, this isn't okay, because that would mean that things aren't perfect. And if things aren't perfect, I'm doing something wrong. And, and that was, that was pivotal for me to be able to do that. And, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Absolutely not. Absolutely. That whole shame piece, something's wrong with me and no one wants anything to be wrong with me, wrong with them. Right. Cause then yep. you disconnect from the world and you feel like you're going to be alone. And the truth yep. is nothing's wrong with any of us. Um, nope. We go through things, right. We all got stuff going on, but it doesn't mean something is innately wrong with us. So yeah. Yes. Thank you. So yeah. final question. What is something that is messy in your life right now? It could be physical, something physical in your house, your car or whatever, or um, just emotional or mental. You, you want me to list just one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is all a mess right now. <laughs> it is all a mess right now. Right now, the house is a mess. I'm looking into my really cluttered bedroom right now, and it's about to drive me up the wall. Um, so that's a bit of a mess. Mm, works a bit of a mess. Mm. We, we've got some really wonderful changes coming, but it's a mess. You know, it's messy before good shit happens. Um, sorry, is that PG-13? No, that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. PG-13. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, so that's a bit of a mess. And health-wise, I'm a bit of a mess right now. Mm. So, yeah, that's. That I'm having a little bit harder time with that right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, health-wise, that's a bit of a mess. Okay. Well, so. thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing. Yeah. Uh, that's I a always lot of want... areas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always want people to share because, you know, we go for these things. I want people to understand, like everyone who's listening, that, you know, when you're doing the work and you're doing healing, we're not trying to get to this point of, of perfection. And, no. um, you know, the tagline here is discovering the beauty within the mess. So there's mess and there's still yeah. beauty. So it uh, is, uh, it is a beautiful mess right yeah. now. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. Thanks it's for been, having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, your story is going to help a lot of people. So, Thanks. Thank that, you. That's so important to me. I don't know about you, but I 
really appreciated that conversation. My takeaways from this episode are, first of all, lying is a form of perfectionism or sign of perfectionism. We lie because we're fearful. We want to avoid, we want to hold up this image of perfection. And so we lie. That was definitely a takeaway for me. The other one is we don't always often talk about the subtle red flags. And then sometimes we also see red flags and we don't know what to do with them. We're like, okay, I see this, I notice this, what do I do? And it's just a reminder that it's so important to talk about the things we have experienced and how we work through them and how it helped us to help answer that question. What do I do with the red flag or what do I do with, you know, when it's subtle? How do I approach this? What do I do? And lastly, we cannot use healthy relationship skills in an unhealthy relationship, meaning we can't come with healthy styles of communication or expect someone to listen to us, you know, in a healthy way and reflect back what we're saying if they are not healthy or if the relationship is not healthy. And it can even be you. You can be the person who's not healthy in a relationship. But um, it's just a reminder that we have these tools, we have these resources that are helpful, but oftentimes they really are best when used in a healthy relationship. And other times we may just have to keep ourselves safe. So thank you so much as always for listening to the podcast. Remember to share this with a friend. There is a friend, a colleague, a family member who really can do with listening to this um, as it would help them. And don't forget to follow and rate the podcast. Thank you for listening to It Didn't Break Me. If you like this episode, please follow the podcast and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please don't forget to share this with a friend and you can tag me on Instagram with your takeaway from this episode at authentically be you. If you want to keep abreast of upcoming episodes, please sign up for the newsletter on the podcast website, itdidn'tbreakme.com. And remember to discover the beauty within the mess.